and welcome to this week's Library Girl and Book Boy podcast, which is a little bit different to usual because this podcast is actually forming part of the blog tour for Karen McCombie's latest book from Nosy Crow called Little Bird Flies. For those of you who don't know, a blog tour is when a publishing company or publicist organises for several different blogs to host reviews, giveaways and interviews at around the time of a book's release, aiming to spread the news far and wide. I quite often host reviews and um, Q&As, but as I now have my podcast, I thought it would be quite fun if my contribution to the Little Bird Flies blog tour was in fact a podcast. So um, uh, as well as hosting a review on my blog, I will also be releasing this podcast as part of the blog tour. The lovely folks at Nosy Crow were kind enough to invite me to the launch for Little Bird Flies at the wonderful Pickled Pepper Books in London and also organised for me to speak to Karen about um, her latest story too. So let's listen to what Karen has to say about the inspirations behind Little Bird Flies and just start us off with a little bit of background as to what the story is actually about. Right, today on the podcast, I am very lucky to have the wonderful Karen McCombie, who is here to talk to me about her new book, Little Bird Flies, which is published by Nosy Crow and illustrated by Jasu Hugh. Hi, Karen, how are you? I'm very good. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you very much for coming on. (laughs) Um, So just to start off with, could you tell um, our listeners a little bit of the story of Little Bird Flies? Sure. Um, I guess I'll do a quick short answer first. Um, You could say it's an adventure that's set on a remote Scottish island um, in the Victorian times. And uh, the the longer answer, um, it would be about a crofter's daughter called Bridie. Uh, Her nickname is Little Bird, the little bird of the title. Um, She very much adores her island home. But she's also got a secret yearning to see more of the world. But of course, being poor... And a girl, um, you know, she reckons that's just never going to happen. And then uh, a change comes to the island, a new owner comes to the island, and everything starts to get very dark and very dangerous. Um, Bridie and her family realise they might have to run for their lives, and they might have to uh, kidnap someone too for their (laughs) lives. Yes, it is action-packed, isn't it? It's action-packed, yes. It's brilliant. Brilliant. That's great. Thank you. Um, so you mentioned that it was set on a remote Scottish island, which is called Tornish in your yeah. book. And it's described so beautifully. I could really picture this amazing, grand island in my head. Now, I know that you grew up in Scotland and visiting mm. the Scottish Highlands. Have you ever been to any of the more remote um, islands off the coast? Yes, I have. I mean, growing up, Scotland. I grew up on East Coast, which has all, you know, the interior of it has all the lost forests, castles and mountains that you think of. And then the West Coast is more dramatic. It's the same, but more dramatic. So a lot of that certainly has always, you know, been in the back of my memory of growing up and sort of influences the look of the book. But um, I did actually visit a very small remote island called Ulva. Um, off the west coast of Scotland, just off of the 
bigger island of Mull. Uh, we had friends who lived there for a while and we we went to visit for a weekend. And um, just the remoteness of it was amazing and knowing that on the West Coast you were just looking out um, to the sea and there really wasn't anything till you came to America, mm-hmm. wow. <laughs> quite a long way away. But the, the drama of that small space and also seeing there, um, they were pointing out where crofts and little townships, little you know villages of crofts and, and cottages would have been um, before the the people of that island were were moved away, which is, you know, the backdrop of my story really, the Highland Clearances, which is a time in Scottish history that nobody much knows outside of Scotland, where, you know, just ordinary people, tenant farmers, were just swept off their land in their hundreds of thousands, um, because the 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 owners, the landowners, decided that they'd rather have the land than the people. Mm. Yes. No, I didn't know anything about that really until I actually read your book so I guess this might that might partly answer my next question which is um, as you said the story is set in Victorian times and 1861 is when it begins and I wanted to know why you decided to create a story with in that time period but I think perhaps that would link into what you said a second ago. But actually the, the whole of this period of the Highland Clearances went on for a whole century. So I did a lot of research thinking, where will I start my particular story? I knew my character, I knew the the sort of look of it and the feel of it. Um, But I wanted to see where in that century I might set it. And actually, um, the very beginning of it is a time from the 1700s, which is so bleak at the time. It was um, terrible cruelty going on uh, with landowners getting rid of their their tenants and you know forcing them onto old sailing ships and having grueling journeys to remote places like Nova Scotia it was so so you know gobsmackingly awful to read about and to be honest I realized that personally I love the Victorian era Uh, I've studied it a lot and I've read about it a lot for fun Um, and actually that was more the tail end of the Highland Clearances and I thought with that era there's so much scope where um, the world was slightly modernising at the time and for my character Bridie and her family there was a time where they could have hope so when things were going from bad to worse in their island and things were really getting to flee and there was a chance to have a better life somewhere else. Yeah, no, I think that glimmer of hope is what kind of keeps you going through mm. all the really grim stuff they have to battle through. Um, to also, be- I'm fascinated by Queen Victoria and I do have her in the book. Nearly. Yes, I love um, <laughs> the story of her visit. It did make me yeah. chuckle. Having been an avid watcher of um, the TV series that was on quite recently. Yes. Um, I, I quite enjoyed her appearance. Yes. Well, she was a big fan of the Highlands, so I had to get Queen Victoria in there somehow. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Um, so you touched on this again a little as well. I was just wondering um, what kind of research specifically you had to do to ensure that you recreated island life at that time so authentically. Well, as I, as I was saying, I did visit over uh, the little island, which gave me a sense of it. But the other place that really sort of, you know, made everything come alive for me was this amazing museum called the Highland Folk Museum that we stumbled upon on a family holiday when we were up in Scotland. Um, And it's basically an outdoor museum. Uh, The original curator of it just gathered all these old buildings from different parts of the Highlands and Islands and have set them all up in this great piece of land. So, you know, you can go to a Victorian schoolhouse or you can go to a 1930s sweet shop that would have been in a Highland village 
um, or you can go to a whole little Highland township. Um, so I could see all the little black houses, which was the name of the little cottages that everyone lived in at the time, um, and really get a sense of what a township looked like. So I could picture that and put it on the island that I'd visited. So suddenly those two incidents really sort of brought everything to mind when I was writing. Fab. You can, you can tell that you've really researched it. As I said, those descriptions are so vivid. You can really imagine this island in your head as you're reading um there's also um within the story a very clear divide between um the wealthy and the not i was just <laughs> wondering um perhaps whether in your research you stumbled across any recorded incidences and whether any of the incidences in your story are actually based on recorded events at all you know, I when I was reading, as I say, I came across some really horrific stories from the early days of the credences, but they were so grim, I just thought, I don't know if I can go there. Um, so I, I really wanted to write something that was a little more hopeful. So I wanted to give a flavour of, you know, the unfairness of life, the, the, the very, you know, the very huge gap between the rich and the poor and the power that the, the rich had over the poor tenant families like Bridie's, um, but, but without quite the grim element of how it really was in the early days of it. So, you know, very much I'm giving that flavour, I think. And um, it, it, there was such a yawning gap and people felt very, very, um, you know, they, they were just left to their own devices, thrown off their lands, and they had no recourse and the wealthy had all the power. So, yes, I think you'll certainly see that with the um, not very nice Laird that comes to the island and uh, what he inflicts on all the families like Bridies who live on Tornish. Yeah, definitely. Um, so there are some glimmers of, of hope as you've said in the book and one of the um, things I loved was the introduction of um, an artist to the island Samuel um, Mitford mm -hmm. I did actually go and google him I was hoping he was going to be <laughs> a real artist but I didn't find any no, 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 not, not real just just um yes an amalgamation <laughs> yes but um, his arrival really was the kind of signal of the beginning of a real shake-up on the island, I thought. Um, why did you choose to introduce him as an artist within your story um, at the point that you did? Well, what, what I wanted to do in the story, although I've spoken here a lot about the sort of the darkness of life, being, a, you know, a, a girl in this crotting family, I also wanted to show how bright life could be too. So there's lots of humour in it and lots of bright moments and friendship and family. Um, and then when Samuel comes, he's like a window opens onto the world for Bridie because she does ache to see what what life might be like outside of Tornish. Um, so, yeah, he's full of colour and life for her. And I think all of us have that time in our life uh, when we suddenly meet somebody where, where it is like a portal into something. And for me, growing up, probably about that age, it was my older brothers, you know, giving me the record collections and suddenly my world was opened up with music. And mm. uh, at secondary school, I had an amazing who just blew my mind and opened me up to all sorts of art. And suddenly it was like, you know, the world opened up to me. So, you know, I, I think that's a sort of universal feeling. So certainly for Bridie, this, this, this wonderful, kind comes into her and her friend's world their sister's world and 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 he he's another sign of hope yeah um you mentioned music music also plays um quite a large part in the more joyful aspects of the story mm. doesn't it yes 
Yes, well, music mattered so much at that time. I'm sure it mattered, you know, it matters in all sorts of communities. Um, music and singing is so, such a strong force of joy. And certainly on the islands, I just kept reading about how rich the music was. It was bagpipes, it was fiddles. Um, Bridie's father, he plays the bagpipes, but he's very enamoured with a little Irish tin whistle he's picked up from an Irish peddler on the islands. And um, so music is always the backdrop to everything. And, um, you know, it's, it's very heartening when you, you think of life on, a, on an island, especially with, in Scotland, with difficult weather and hardships. And yet there was always time for joy and fun and music. Yeah, no, it, it it was yeah. I enjoyed hearing about the bagpipe playing. It was, <laughs> and them dancing away wildly. It was it was lovely. <laughs> um, so my last question about um, little bird flies is that um, the story is actually told in two parts. There are two books to the story of little bird flies. Now I've only read the first one, and I'm desperate to find out what happens next. But I'm going to have to wait till I get my hands on the book, <laughs> which is very annoying. Yes, um, well, I have to finish writing it first, so I have to do that in the next few days before yes. my editor kills me. Yes, if but, you would um, just hurry up with that, that would be yeah. marvellous. <laughs> it's due out in the summer, so um, not okay. too long to wait. Okay, that's all right then. So I was just wondering, do you generally, when you begin a story, hmm. do you, when you are thinking of it in your head, do you generally start? at the beginning of the story or do you have the end in mind first or something in the middle do you know how it's going to pan out before you put pen to paper as it were um I do I do know where it's going to go um I I just can't start a story without knowing where the end is going to go because I think that that sounds like going down a wormhole mm -hmm. of pain trying to sort things out so <laughs> You know, I'll get my vision of what I want to do and then I will very clearly think about how it's going to start and where it's going to go to and then plot it all out. Um, and then I always allow myself a bit of movement, you know, if, if more occurs to me on the way, especially if I'm with something like this, this, you know, doing so much research, suddenly you'll research something and you'll find an amazing little gem of information that you think, I have to work that in, I have to work that into the story, it's too good not to use. Yeah. So I do allow myself that, that, um, that time to wiggle my story a little, you might say, but yes, I definitely know where I'm going. Now you're more of a kind of pen and paper flat pet planner, do you have post-it notes all over a wall, do you work on a laptop, how do you like to... Oh, um, I I have my big A4 pad with lots of scribbles all over it. And then I sort of streamline it down and down and down until it's a little clearer. Uh, sometimes I'll have little post-it notes um, going through my A4 pad, telling me what's going to happen in every chapter, breaking it down for me. So, yes, I like to follow my plan. Otherwise, I think I would panic. <laughs> I think, isn't it called... Um, I found out only fairly recently, some authors call it, are your seats of your pantser, are your seats of your pantser, and that is definitely not me, I'm not, I don't fly, or, or write by the seats of my pants, because I just couldn't bear it, um, so yes, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an organised bunny, I will, I will make sure I know where my, my lovely characters are going. Yeah, no, I'm, I like a plan, I'm the same, in any aspect of life, I like to have <laughs> yeah. a vague idea of where I'm going to end up, yes. even if the route isn't entirely clear mm. at the time. Yeah. Well, that's brilliant thank you now I know we're recording this podcast as actually as part of the blog tour for Little Bird Flies yes. but um, you write so many other wonderful and very different books I was just wondering if there's anything else coming out this year 
in perhaps a different series or a standalone that you could give us a few hints about at all, if you're allowed? Yeah, sure. Um, I, well, I'm very lucky to be asked to write in different styles for different publishers. And I do I do love the change of pace, um, you know, switching gears between things, um, you know, something like this amazing historical book. It's been such a joy. Um, and sometimes I write for, uh, you know, Barrington Stoke, who specialise in books for dyslexic readers and reluctant readers. And that's a joy as well. Yes. So, so many different things and funny books. I love it all. Um, so this year is obviously the big year for Little Bird Flies and its follow up Little Bird Lands. Um, so I'm also working um, very soon on a new project for Stripes Publishers. So that'll be back to more the funny vein. Um, so I'm not quite sure of the, the um, publication date for that yet, but that's that's my next project. So um, I'll be very sad to leave the world of Tornish and the Highlands of Scotland and, and the follow-up. <coughs> yes. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but yes, it's, it has been a joy and... Um, I think it'll always stay in my head as if I've lived there. That, that That's the world of authors. You, you do sort of live in your head and yeah. whatever your, your current book is and your characters feel like they're friends. So it's a busy world. <laughs> yeah, I suppose it's a bit like being a method actor, isn't it? You yeah. have to kind of thoroughly inhabit yes. the world. Yes. yes, and I've had really, even though I've been writing other books, I've had, uh, it's probably been about three years that I've been in these the world of these two books so um yes i'm very invested in these i'm very invested in little bird's world no well it's it's a wonderful book so i'm privileged i got to read it slightly early and very excited for other people to be able to read it now as well and i can't wait for a little bird land but i'm guessing that won't be out this year will it yes no summer summer oh it's out in the summer oh brilliant Yes, you did so, so, yes. so um yes not long to wait at all to oh, a little okay. bird lands yes, that's true I can, <laughs> I can be patient for a couple of months <laughs> well that's brilliant thank you very much for um taking the time to answer all my questions and share your experience and wisdom with um listeners i know people love um listening into how other authors work and about the kind of things that they're currently writing as well so it's it's really interesting thank you so much for giving up your time to chat with me no worries it's a pleasure Lovely, thank you. So I'm going to say um, goodbye and um, I will see you see you soon, hopefully. And I will be looking out for Little Bird Lands flying onto the shelves in the summer. Yes. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank, thank you, you thank Okay, you. bye-bye. Bye. Karen has an extensive back catalogue of brilliant titles for middle grade readers, that's eight and up and also for young adult readers. So do make sure that if you enjoyed Little Bird Flies, you take a peek at some of her other brilliant titles. One of my favorite series of Karen's is very different to Little Bird Flies. Um, this series is set in a rather unusual boarding school where strange things happen. You might already know what I'm talking about. It's the St. Grizzles School for Girls series. Now, in this series, there are four different titles. You've got St. Grizzles School for Girls, Goats and Random Boys, St. Grizzles School for Girls, Ghosts and Runaway Grannies. You've also got Geeks and Tagalong Zombies, and the newest one is Gremlins and Pesky Guests. 
They are packed with some rather strange characters, but absolutely hilarious. So very different to Little Bird Flies, but very, very funny. Do take a look if you're after a good read. The St Grizzle series is published by Stripes Books and is illustrated by Becca Moore. If you're looking for some recommendations of some great books perhaps to use um, for a particular topic in class or to add to the school library or perhaps for those readers who have read everything by one author and want something different but similar please don't hesitate to get in touch with me if you have the anchor app on one of your devices you can leave me a voice message direct through that otherwise you can find me on twitter as at book superhero 2 the same on instagram you can find me on my blog www.librarygirlandbookboy.wordpress.com or if you are a little more old school, you can find the Library Girl and Book Boy group on Facebook. Please do let me know if I can help. My next podcast has a rather mysterious and magical theme because I am interviewing Amy Wilson about her new book, Snow Globe which is published by the lovely folk at Macmillan. Um, you may also have read some of Amy's other books, um, A Girl Called Owl or A Faraway Magic. Both brilliant and both fantastic for readers age nine and up. Make sure you tune in next time to um, listen to what Amy has to say. If you make sure that you subscribe, you will never miss another episode so make sure that you subscribe and download and of course please feel free to tell all your friends goodbye